do a little bit of uh, history trivia for a second. List in your mind some major events that changed the world. Major events that changed the world. What would you list? Alexander the Great conquering the Persian Empire. The Pax Romana. Maybe Gutenberg inventing the printing press. Without doubt, some of you listed the Protestant Reformation. The French Revolution. Maybe the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand that spurned World War I. Maybe the Wright brothers' first flight, 1903. The U.S. Civil Rights Movement. Maybe the birth of the Internet. Or the end of the Cold War. Or the end of apartheid in South Africa. Maybe the terrorist attacks in 9-11. On we could go. These are major events that, that changed the world. That changed the course of history. Sometimes for the better... Sometimes for the worse. But I wonder if any of us would list the moments you spend in prayer. What if I told you that one of the most world-changing events you can participate in are the moments you spend in prayer? What if I told you that working through your prayers... God will change the world forever. And what if I showed you where God talks about prayer like that? In the first few verses of Revelation chapter 8, we learn that God intends to use your prayers to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's through the prayers of the saints... God will work to end evil and change the world forever. Let's see it together. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Listen to God's word. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, last Sunday, we looked at a brief pause between uh, seal number six and, and seal number seven. God had many words of assurance for his people. They need not worry in tribulation. He will keep them through uh, the tribulation, he will finally comfort them in his presence. 
And now we come to the anticipated seventh seal. And remember that Jesus has, has been holding this, this scroll in his hands. The scroll contains God's plan to, to bring history to its climax in the new heavens and the new earth. Only, uh, but uh, this, this, there's, a, there's a problem, right? This, this, seal, this scroll is sealed with seven seals. And we learn that only Jesus can break the seals. Only Jesus conquered by laying down his life as a lamb. And so uh, then one by one, we've, we've been witnessing Jesus breaking the seals to reveal and enact God's plan. And the first four seals pictured God's God's smaller judgments that, that uh, occur throughout history. And at seal number five, we, we heard the prayers of the martyrs beneath the altar. Seal number six came as one of the answers to their prayers. God will judge the enemies of, of his people. The day of the Lord will come. And now with seal seven, we expect God to show up. With, with the last seal broken, right, the scroll should now unroll. And so we expect God to reveal his final judgments. Now, the revelation of those judgments will come. Some of them start in verse 7 with the trumpets. However, before God reveals those final judgments, John observes silence in heaven for about half an hour. Meaning within his visionary experience, right? Silence in heaven. What is this silence about? Why does it come? Well, God has prepared us for the moment that he arrives in judgment, and then we get this silence. Now, a few places in the Old Testament develop a similar picture right before God's about to arrive in judgment. Okay, Habakkuk 2.20 is one of them. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all of the earth keep silence before him. Zephaniah 1.7 is another, I think I put 1.10 on the screen, it's wrong, uh, is another, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Zechariah 2.13, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. In each of these prophets, the silence is, is coming right before God comes to judge either his own people or, or the whole world. It is a silence that is filled with reverence and awe before God's majesty and unstoppable power. You might compare it to the silence you, you experience in your home when there's a thunderclap that rattles the walls of your house and you suddenly realize how small you are. This is a silence that is uh, the calm before the storm of God's judgment falling. And that moment of silence, though, also allows something else to happen. It allows the prayers of God's people to ascend like sweet incense... 
All heaven pauses in silence before God's majesty, and in doing so, God depicts the significance of His people's prayers. God uses this moment of silence to reveal that your prayers play a crucial role in the unfolding drama of redemptive history. That's huge, and there's more to say about that and what it means for your prayer life. But we first need to discuss these seven angels with seven trumpets. Verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Okay, so like the seven seals, the the seven trumpets are going to bring another seven judgments. Okay, that's what chapters 8 and 9 are about. There's going to be four judgments against uh, the the natural world and then two judgments against rebellious humanity followed by a seventh that that, uh, brings us to the end once again. Okay, A a few things to note though. In the Old Testament... Trumpet blasts were used on a number of occasions. Sometimes the trumpet blasts would call people to worship. Sometimes the trumpet blasts would would gather the people for war, like they were going to war against somebody else. But there are occasions, especially in the prophets, where the trumpet blasts were calling the people to wail in the face of imminent danger, of approaching danger. We, we saw this a while back in Joel, when we went through Joel, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Okay, and that, that's how these trumpets will function as well. The nature of their Trumpet blast uh, eventually stands out in verse 13. If you just glance over there, it says, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets. So these trumpets will bring woes and wailing. Something else to recall is the story of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. Okay, we, we, you remember that story where... Uh, God's fame has spread uh, into the land. God works in mercy to save Rahab and her family. Uh, She heard of the Lord's name and put her faith in the Lord. uh, But we also see something else, don't we? God judges others in the city of Jericho for their rebellion. They do not respond like Rahab. So God works in this story to replace this rebel kingdom. Remember, the promised land is going to become God's kingdom. God's going to replace the rebellious kingdoms with his own kingdom as he comes into the land. And if you remember, part of that plan included seven priests holding seven trumpets marching around the city, seven Days blowing the trumpets, and on the seventh day, with the seventh trumpet blast, God devoted that city to destruction. And so at the seventh trumpet blast, God replaced the rebel kingdom with his own kingdom, so to speak. 
In Revelation, angels often serve in a priestly manner. That's why you see them wearing the, the white and serving in different ways at the altar, uh, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, they serve in a priestly role. What do you think it conveys when seven priest-like angels are handed seven trumpets? It anticipates God replacing all rebel kingdoms with his own kingdom. It anticipates the rebellious city of man crumbling to the ground before, before God's amazing presence as he shows up. Some will be like Rahab and receive mercy from the Lord. Some will escape by placing their trust in the Lord and his goodness in Christ. But for those who reject God's ways, they can expect God to destroy them in judgment. The fullness of a judgment will fall at the final trumpet. Okay, that's what we can expect when the trumpets begin to sound. We're not getting into them today, but that's what we can expect. For now, these angels hold off, and they too observe the silence here. And in that silence, we see the importance of your prayers, the prayers of the saints. In verse 3, we see another angel entering the picture. And he too serves in a priest-like role in God's heavenly temple. He stands before the altar, which is the same altar we saw in chapter 6, verse 9. Okay, you remember that? Where, where we, John sees under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. They have given their lives as a sacrifice. And what are these Martyrs beneath the altar doing their praying. And we, we hear their prayer. Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, this angel comes and, and he stands before that same altar with a golden censer. Uh, in the Old Testament, a, uh, a censer was used to burn incense before the Lord. Some of you probably remember Nahab and Abihu offering strange fire and an incense before the Lord, and the Lord destroyed him, destroyed them. Uh, but but often the this, this censer was something used by the priests uh, to offer incense before the Lord with the sacrifices. And so also here, this this angel receives he receives much incense. It says, why would he why would he need much incense? Uh, because he is, he is offering it together with the prayers of all the saints. All right? So the martyrs under the altar represent the prayers of some of the saints. But as we saw in chapter 7, verse 9, God has an innumerable multitude from all nations and tribes and peoples and languages. Their prayers, your prayers, belong to this heavenly vision. So he has to have much incense because there's so many people praying. Okay? And so the angel gets much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints because they are many. 
Verse 4 says that the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Okay, what's the picture? The picture is that your prayers ascend before God as an act of holy worship. Your prayers ascend before God like a pleasing aroma. Your prayers uh, do not hit a ceiling, so to speak. They, they rise before the very throne of God. Do you think of your prayers that way? As rising before the presence of the Lord. The idea isn't foreign to the, the Old Testament. Uh, in Psalm 141, we find uh, David, and, he, and he's laying prayers before the Lord. And some of those prayers are um, for himself and his own sinful tendencies. Uh, the speech that comes out of his mouth. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, he's praying uh, that he's not tempted by the delicacies of the wicked. He's asking the Lord to guard him from that. Uh, David also asked the Lord to judge his enemies in Psalm 141, those who are trying to thwart God's purpose in the king. Uh, but listen, you've probably made prayers that are similar to David's in Psalm 141. But listen, listen to the way... Uh, David describes those prayers right at the start at Psalm 141. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice when I call to you, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So let my prayer be counted as incense before you. When the saints pray, it rises like sweet incense before the Lord. But that's not all. Notice what the prayers accomplish in verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. All right, what's happening now? Well, one clue is Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 2. Where, there we find another vision of an angel, and he's scattering burning coals over the city of Jerusalem. And this is a sign of God's coming judgment. And so by throwing fire from the altar on, onto the earth, John is seeing a vision of God's coming judgment. Another clue is uh, that this picture of thunder, uh, rumblings, lightning, and an earthquake also appear at the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl. If you turn over to chapter 11, with the seventh trumpet, chapter 11, um, verse 19, look there with me. The same language occurs. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen with, within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hell. 
So we've got lightning again, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake at the seventh trumpet. Look over with me at the seventh bowl in chapter 16. The seventh angel, chapter 16. Uh, let's look at uh, verse t- uh, 19, the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath and every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of hell because the plague was so severe. Now that sounds like the last day, right? The They're going to drain the cup of God's wrath. Well, look at verse 18. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there never had been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Okay, so with each of the seventh, so with the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl, we're getting more details about what this this. This uh, day is called, uh, chapter 11, verse 15, even says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That's at the seventh trumpet. So, so in each of these cases, what we're seeing at the seventh seal and the seventh uh, trumpet and the seventh bowl, it's using the same language because it's talking about the same thing, which is the coming of God in judgment. So the thunder, the rumblings, the lightning, the earthquake are associated with God showing up to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean for verse 5 then? It means this, that through the prayers of the saints, God establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he's taking this golden censer and hurling it down as a sign of these prayers are now being answered and God's kingdom is coming on earth. So why else do you think Jesus asked us to pray this way? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not only do your prayers rise before God like incense, they become the very means God uses to finish his will on earth. That's why Jesus taught us to pray that way. Do you view prayer this way? John's vision here needs to shape the way we view our prayers. Prayer is God's ordained means to accomplish his will on earth, including his judgment on evildoers. Your prayers serve an awesome place in God's purpose. Now, God isn't dependent on your prayers... ...but he inspires prayer to advance his purpose... Prayer is how God chooses to work out his purposes through, not apart from, but through our expressed dependence upon him. 
the future state will finally come on earth through the prayers of God's people. Does that astonish you? Is that what you're thinking when you're coming before Him in the morning? Or on the drive to work? Where you're praying, voicing a prayer? We don't deserve such a privilege like this. Once we were cut off and estranged from God. Trey's going to be preaching on Isaiah 59 in a few weeks, and he, and he talks about our sin creating a, a separation between us and God. But now, now we're seeing that through the redeeming work of the Lamb, we have free access to the throne of grace. Through Jesus' blood, you get the spirit of adoption, Galatians tells us. And when the spirit of adoption comes in you, guess what comes out? The cry of Abba. Through Jesus' blood, God grants you the privilege of prayer, of interacting with your Father as He makes His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. If you belong to the Lamb, your prayers rise like incense before the Lord, and they will serve to bring God's kingdom on earth. Now, in a few minutes, I want us to, to pray together as a church. We'll, we'll break up into, into clusters and let our prayers rise like sweet incense. But before doing so, let me leave you with a few, few takeaways here. Uh, yeah, it's shorter sermon, shorter passage today, and uh, I want to leave time for us to pray. So, here's a few takeaways before we do that. One, prayer is necessary to your perseverance in tribulation. Prayer is necessary to your perseverance in tribulation. All right, think, think of the bigger picture here, where we've been in Revelation. The seven seals have painted a picture of the tribulation between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return. Okay, there, and we saw in the midst of that tribulation conflict. Bloodshed, right? Economic hardship, death, persecution as the gospel advances. Nevertheless, we don't need to lose heart. Jesus reigns. He's in control. He's breaking the seals. He will keep us through it all. That was chapter 7. But what do we find before, during, and after the picture that we've been reading? We find prayer. Chapter 5, verse 8. As the heavenly hosts worship the Lamb, John sees the golden bowls of incense which contain... The prayers of the saints. And then during tribulation, we hear the prayers of the saints under the altar in chapter 6. And then at the end of tribulation, their prayers are finally answered as the Lord's kingdom comes. What ought we to take away from that? Pray, right? Pray as long as this tribulation lasts. Prayer saturates the lives of God's people throughout tribulation. When we, when we walked through the book of Acts together, how often would we see the church gathering together to pray? A while back, Ben took us through a bazillion texts on prayer in, uh, from, uh, when he was talking about uh, praying in secret. He really stressed for us with the importance of prayer in the Christian life. Hebrews 
talked about our access to the throne of grace in time of need. Remember when we went through the book of Hebrews? And you, you won't be surprised by this. Tribulation is a time of great need. So this may be another opportunity to think about your, your, the patterns of your prayer life and evaluate them and consider seeking the Lord more, more earnestly. Uh, number two, bring your deepest hurts and longings to the Lord. Bring your deepest hurts and longings to the Lord. Remember, some, some of the prayers included here, I mean, if you, just, if you were reading just the seals and you skipped chapter 7, you would go, prayers under the altar, judgment's coming for their enemies. Oh, by the way, God's going to answer them like this. That's seal number seven, right? But so if you, if, you trace that, if you trace some of the prayers that he's talking about being answered back to the martyrs under the altar, what are they saying? How long, O Lord, before you avenge our blood? There is deep hurt in that prayer. We, we don't have to guess what happened to some of them. We were already told in chapter 2, verse 10, that the kingdom of the beast murdered Antipas, their friend. And now they're crying. How long? We don't have to guess what's behind the prayers of the saints throughout history who have cried. How long? We read about it in Scripture when they repeatedly cry. How long? We experience it ourselves. We see wicked rulers prospering. We see the most vulnerable people in our midst murdered. We see the truth traded for lies. We see the poor oppressed. We see brothers and sisters abused. Whatever deep hurts persist, bring them to the Lord. They have a place before God's throne. Fill up the censers with your deep hurts. Same with our deepest longings. I mean, do you want the new Jerusalem to come? Love Andrew Peterson's song, Maybe Next Year. I'll see you in the New Jerusalem. Do you want it? Do you long for it? Greg and Diane's daughter had surgery this week. Dale had a CT scan again. Do you long for the day of no more crying? No more pain? From time to time, my daughter comes and shares with me, that this world is a scary place for her? Do you long for the day when, as Zechariah says, children will play in the streets without fear? Do you long for the day when there are no more goodbyes? Turn these longings into prayers for God's kingdom to come on earth. Every one of these prayers is filling the censers in God's presence. And then finally, rest assured that in Christ, the Lord hears your prayers. Rest assured that in Christ, the Lord hears your prayers. Even if there's a delayed answer, that doesn't mean he hasn't heard them. Or they're not working. In chapter 6, verse 11, 
we saw a picture where God hears the prayers of the martyrs, but he tells them to wait a little while longer. The full answer will not come for them until the day of judgment. And so also with us, some of our prayers will not be answered in full until God returns to make the world right again. But the delay does not mean he's ignoring you. This vision pictures our prayers rising before the Lord like, like incense. This vision pictures our prayers stored in, in censers for a special purpose. And that should give us confidence to keep praying. I don't know about you, but I need a vision like this. I was telling some of my care group guys about this a while back, that there are days when I'm just discouraged in my praying. Right? I get to points where I, I feel like I'm just talking to a ceiling. Come on, Lord. I'm crying to you. Nothing's happening. You say things to God like that? And then as that persists, other thoughts start to settle in. Like, what's the point? It's not like it'll make a difference. Maybe there's a better use of my time. And this passage is saying, wrong. <laughs> wrong, Brett. We need this vision. We need to see that God will use our prayers... ...to change the world forever. Again, he doesn't need our prayers... ...to change the world. It's also good to clarify... ...that God's work in Christ... ...is the ultimate reason the world will change. The point here is that God chooses to include you and me... ...in this changing of the world through Christ. And that should amaze us. It's why we base our prayers in Jesus' name. Because he's the king... ...and he's going to change the world... And because of that, we pray. We have hope in our prayers that they will be answered. God includes us in his changing of the world through Christ. Every prayer you make in faith through Christ, God has a purpose for that prayer. God has a design for that prayer in his plans, along with all the millions of other prayers that the saints are praying and he means for all of them to work toward the consummation of his kingdom on earth. So don't lose heart in prayer. As our Lord once asked his disciples, will not God give justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? All right, remember the parable in Luke? If evil ruler, if evil judges know how to respond to the persistent widow... How much more will a God who's holy and good respond to his people who are crying for justice day and night? God will act, beloved. So don't lose heart in prayer. Now, on that note, we're going to pray together. We'll spend 10 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes in prayer. Um... I'd like you to break up into groups of three to five. Uh, and you will notice in the back of your worship guide, uh, there is, I think it's the last page, there is a, a, a few scripture verses 
of different kinds of prayer you can pray. Um, so while someone's praying, another of you could read one of those passages of scripture to yourself and, and, uh, and then join them in, in praying for those, those types of things. Um, also, those verses might lead you to, to pray other types of things that are on your mind and heavy on your heart. And uh, so I would encourage you to, to make those prayers known to the Lord and let, let's for a few minutes, let our prayers rise like incense before the Lord's throne. Uh, if you're not a Christian and you have questions, you don't need to feel pressure to pretend like you're participating, okay? If, if you're a member of our church and there's a non-Christian here who just wants to talk and ask questions, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to talk with them about the Lord and about what he's done uh, for us in Christ uh, during this time. So uh, let's go, uh, go, we'll go ahead and break up, and then Trey will come lead us in the, in the supper. Uh, just a minute. Mm-hmm.